Banana Ball is going national. Plus, MLS had a ticket snafu for its championship game, and later we're looking at the NBA midseason tournament and the state of the league with ESPN's Bobby Marks. It's Thursday, December 7th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Savannah Bananas are the hottest ticket in town. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So for those who don't know, the Savannah Bananas are an independent baseball team that play a version of baseball called Banana Ball and do things like incorporate team dances into the game. And now they are going on tour across the U.S. Eric, what's the story here? So they've been doing tours for a little bit, but we've got a much bigger and broader tournament uh, in 2024, notably led by the playing in major league size ballparks for the first time. Historically, this team has played in, in minor league and college parks. They're going to be playing in six different MLB stadiums in part because of the increased demand around this team. But that demand is, uh, you know, completely outstripping supply. And they've gotten two million, more than two million uh, lottery entrants uh, for, for a ticket lottery that's going to be held for these teams' games. Um, and, you know, in many instances, we've gotten more than 100,000 individual uh, lottery entries in a city for, uh, for a game that's going to be played in a stadium less than half that size or maybe just a third of that size. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy with the, the demand we're seeing. This is sort of apples and oranges, but I still found it notable. 12 MLB teams drew under 2 million fans across 81 home games last year. The Bananas are getting more interest for that. I keep wondering if... MLB or like the baseball world generally can take any lessons from this, but banana ball is, is not baseball, but I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. So, just listen to your fans. Uh, you know, they've sort of really pushed the envelope. It's, uh, you know, they don't like this direct comparison because the games aren't fixed, but, uh, um, they're sort of like baseball's version of the Harlem Globetrotters. So, uh, but what they've done is just try to lean in and listen to their fans as much as possible. And if a fan comes to them, Hey, what, what if you just did this? Um, they're going to listen and, you know, more likely than not implement that thing. So there's a, there's a real, um, lesson here and how do you sort of deal with your fans their social media presence is far and away better than any team in, in major league baseball, better than the league as a whole. Um, you know, so how they've sort of interact with their fans on social media, another big lesson there. But it all sort of just comes down to a, a level of interaction and responsiveness that we just don't see in a lot of other places. Yeah, I mean, they do seem like a team built for the TikTok era. And, and every time I don't look at TikTok that often, but every time I do, I get to see some, you know, like the, the entire Savannah Bananas team doing some like wiggly dance that ends with a pitcher throwing a pitch. And it's just it's entertaining every time. It's like so goofy and silly. But like they're clearly having fun. Like it, it just looks like a fun, fun product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is that's their their motto, isn't it? Serious fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're a fascinating phenomenon. And um, yeah, it makes me wonder just like how much bigger they can get. Yeah, I think it's going to be more games, more dates. Um, you know, and maybe you know, could you see a situation where they play in a football stadium and some place that can be converted, you know, into a legitimate baseball field. And there are some of those facilities out there, um, even in sort of the single uh, facility use era that we're now in. Um, 
you know, I think that we could definitely see a situation where we're even playing beyond, you know, 40, 45,000 C stadiums that, you know, the interest in this team is that great. Yeah, I mean, I think this tour has proved it. And you, know, you said like over 100,000 people are, are, you know, signing up in from places like, like Houston. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just need a, a stadium that big if you're going to even begin to accommodate the the Savannah Bananas. Anything else you want to add on on this banana topic? Uh, you know, one of the things that they also do is just uh, uh, it's a very interesting model where it's flat rate pricing that it's, uh, you know, tickets uh, across the board for general admission are twenty five dollars. They've got a seventy five dollar VIP level ticket that's, uh, um, you know, limited quantity on that. But they don't do this massive tiering on pricing like a lot of teams do that. Uh, $25 is their number and they try to keep this uh, affordable and accessible. And that's a big part of the secret sauce or not so secret sauce as well. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Fisher, this was fun. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. After three seasons of broadcasting NFL slime time, Nickelodeon will be getting an alternate broadcast of Super Bowl 58 hosted by none other than SpongeBob SquarePants and Patrick Starr. The game will feature SquarePants and Patrick Starr as the hosts, live commentary from Larry the Lobster, sideline reporting from Sandy Cheeks, and in a crossover none of us were expecting, Dora the Explorer will be filling in the shoes of Gene Steratore as the rules analyst when penalty calls arise. Now, know what you're thinking. SpongeBob and the gang probably aren't qualified to commentate any NFL game, let alone the Super Bowl, but this isn't the first time Nickelodeon characters have called a football game. Patrick Starr had one of the best calls all season during last year's NFL Christmas game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Broncos. Oh, there's Russ Wilson. Oh, oh, no. oh, oh. That's called a, 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 an interception. And it was. It was. Bobby Wagner. That's not what he wanted to cook. Hopefully the crew from Bikini Bottom can live up to the hype of their biggest game since their halftime performance at the Bubble Bowl in 2001. The MLS final is on Saturday, with the Columbus crew hosting LAFC. The league is now scrambling to fix a dicey situation around ticket sales for the game. What seems to have happened is that league sponsors were given a pre-sale code that let them buy tickets just before the window opened for season ticket holders. That code, which allowed people to buy 20 tickets at a time, got leaked on the internet, and ticket resellers snapped up loads of tickets, particularly the most affordable ones, which quickly became not so affordable. The league canceled those tickets and seems to be rectifying the situation. They care a lot more about having a packed crowd than enriching third-party ticket sellers. But it adds a little extra drama at a time when MLS has one more game this season to show that it is a league on the rise, poised to take its next big step as we get closer to the 2026 World Cup in North America. The NBA launched the midseason tournament this year, and they have one shot to show what this thing can be before they finalize their next set of media rights. It was something of a gamble, but it looks like one that's paying off. I spoke to ESPN's NBA front office insider Bobby Marks on the tournament so far, what tweaks the league might make, and where the NBA is likely to expand. That conversation is coming up right after this. I'm joined now by Bobby Marks, front office insider for ESPN. Welcome, Bobby. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you back on. So we're heading into the semifinals of the NBA midseason tournament. What's been your take on the first iteration of this? I, I mean, I was a fan from the beginning, <laughs> even before the games were even played, just because I thought, you know, to add a little spice in late November um, and early December compared to just a regular season game um, was going to be intriguing here. I think you saw from the pool play, um, 
how there was certainly a lot of players playing for something. The point differential, for example, you know, gave you know teams some teams to complain, some teams to try to run up the score that we wouldn't see in a regular season game. And then I, I think we, we've seen with you know, you know, at least three out of the four quarterfinal games was they were playoff level type games in early December that we would not see. Um, certainly the Laker Phoenix game and Indiana having an opportunity to be on that stage that they've never been before. Um, I, I think it's been well, um, there's been a, you know, well receptive. You saw Kevin Durant after the, the loss saying, I wasn't really a big fan of this, but now, you know, we it felt like it was a playoff game um, uh, Tuesday night here. Um, and now we go into Las Vegas with four teams, um, two that aren't really on a big stage with New Orleans in um in Indiana here. And I think it's here to stay. I, I believe so. I think it'll be interesting how they go about tweaking things. Cause there's always, there's always going to be a tweak or two here. Um, but I, I, you know, considering that 82 games is a long season. Um, sometimes we get to the point where we're counting the days to the all-star break here. Uh, it was able to, even for the teams that didn't play, um, you know, there was like a three or four day gap there where um, it was like a little bit of a mini um, all-star break where you can kind of recharge your batteries and get ready for the you know second quarter of um, you know the next you know, 15, 20 games. Yeah, that Lakers-Phoenix game, I felt like was the one that really took this to the next level. There are other fun ones too, even like Milwaukee Knicks, even though that was, um, you know, Milwaukee kind of blew them out. Uh, that, that still, th- these games did feel like they had a little extra mustard on them. Yeah, the one, you know, the one game that I felt it was before the quarters was the Sacramento Golden State game a week ago, which was, you know, it's 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 fascinating because here you have a, you know, basically winner gets in, but Golden State's got to win by 12 points or more. Um, Sacramento could lose as long as it's below 12 points. Um, they're down the whole game. They come back. It's a playoff type atmosphere. And then you're thinking down the stretch, you know, um, Sacramento is down three or four. Well, does Sacramento value winning the game or they value getting into this playing tournament here? Because you just let the, the play, you know, you, instead of fouling, you let the game play out here. And they were fortunately enough to win here. But I think, you know, it, it, what it does too, it gives you kind of an indicator when you, you know, these are playoff type games. What do we need when we get close to the trade deadline? You know, how do guys react in certain situations? You know, maybe less with, with Boston because they were missing Christophs Porzingis. But if you're, if you're Indiana, who's basically their identity has been like, we're just going to outscore teams the whole year. Well, you started to play a little bit of defense, um, you know, mon- uh, Monday night here, and you, you, you've seen that you can compete at that high level. Um, you know, certainly offensively, they're they're one of the best, but on, on a defensive end. You mentioned that there may be tweaks to this tournament. Any that you would you, you see as likely or, or that you would make? Well, you know, how, how do you? Um, there is a you know certainly there's the financial component, so it benefits the players. Right. So there, you know, winner takes 500,000, loser 200,000. And then there's kind of a trickle down effect. So the players are impacted. The staffs are impacted. You're two way players. But how are the fans impacted? I've said all along and I know you'll you'll get resistance within the league office is that do we how do we reward the team when it comes to the playoffs? Does it guarantee them a playing spot? And then people say, well, then we're on talking about load management. Guys are going to start resting and teams already got that spot locked in. Does it guarantee them a top six spot? I don't know how you work that out, but I would love to see how do the fans, besides saying our team in New Orleans won the play-in, uh, won the in-season tournament. 
great. But how do the fans benefit from it, not just the players? Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. I feel like that's the missing piece right now is, uh, you know, let's say I'm a Milwaukee fan. Um, sure, I want to win the midseason tournament. It's it's a cool thing. It shows that we're a top team. But do I care about Giannis getting an extra million dollars? Like, not really. He didn't even realize it. <laughs> right, <laughs> he yeah. He didn't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's always going to be a guy where, you know, there's always going to be a feel-good story of, you know, some some rookie who's, like, barely on the team or, you know, maybe that's that's his only season or something and he gets that one million. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'd love to see a, a draft pick thrown in or, yeah, maybe something with playoff positioning or something. Thing where it's like not only do we get you know we won the glitz and glamour game but we got something out of this yeah i mean the draft pick it would be interesting especially since the league has been talking about maybe adding a second day um maybe moving the second round to the to a second day maybe do we um you know we always see it in the nfl these compensatory picks right for whether it be an injury or maybe a trade and you know maybe instead of maybe we expand a little bit that the team that wins the um you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the in-season tournament now gets pick 30 and everybody gets pushed back or some type of, um, you know, some type of benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so the last three games, as you mentioned, they're in Vegas. What do you think the odds are we see a team in Vegas, you know, whenever the NBA gets around to expanding? I think it's pretty strong. I would say that, you know, certainly the commissioner has been out front saying, let's get through this new TV deal. Let's see what the pot of money is there. Um, it's a little bit different when you're splitting it amongst 30 teams and then 32. That that changes it here. I, I would say that if you had a list of five teams, I would think Las Vegas is certainly up there. Um, number one, I think Seattle is intriguing. Um that would set off a interesting um, dynamic where now we're, we're starting to move teams maybe to the Eastern Conference um, because you've got two West Coast teams coming. Um, so you've got to shift the balance here. Now, does that mean Memphis goes to the East or some of the maybe Minnesota goes to the East or, you know, that's something to figure out. But I think I think expansion, I think expansion is um, it, it's coming. Um, I think just. You know, probably two years from now, they'll have a better feel for where the economics are. I think the, the game is strong. I think even post-COVID, it's proved that it's strong. They've got a new collective bargaining agreement. Con- salaries are going increasingly going higher. They figured out the um, the RSN uh, deals with uh, what was going on here. Um, so I would be uh, I would be stunned if you know I'm talking to you five years from now. We're not talking about a team in Las Vegas or Seattle. And I think they come in pairs. They don't come as a as a solo um, solo venture. Yeah, and just the league you mentioned its its strength. It, it does. Does this feel like the strongest it's ever been? It kind of does to me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we were you know we were at a good spot, you know, and you know, I guess pre-COVID in 2019, it was, it's kind of come in phases. It's been, it's interesting, you know, the new, um, you know, we had that phase in 2016 where the TV money came in and it wasn't phased. And then all of a sudden there was a pool of, you know, Hey, it was great to be a free agent that year. And then basically a lot of players kind of in that 2017, 2018 class kind of got left out because all the money was spent. And then we got COVID and then we, we had basically a two year period where there was no growth, um, you know, in, in the cap and, you know, we saw revenue go down with attendance here, but um, I would say business is back to normal. We've got a new CBA um, contracts are through the roof. You know, we're going to have the first $300 million player that's never been there um, before we've added extra um, they've added extra jobs worth a, th- a third two way spot. Um, you can have 540 players under contract potentially here, but I would say as, 
Yeah, I've been around doing this since 1995. It's, it's as, as strong as, it, as it's ever been. Yeah. And just back to the, the midseason tournament for a moment. Uh, do you feel like the, you know, the leagues made themselves billions of dollars here in terms of being able to package this and sell it to you know, either one of their incumbents or you know, maybe a new player? Yeah, I think it's a standalone, right? I mean, you have, you know, all these different things that you could sell, whether it be the pool play games or whether it be um, the quarters, semis, finals, um, you know, it's not just the all-star game in the playoffs now and in, in the, you know, the Tuesday, Wednesday and uh, Friday night games, you know, whether it be TNT or, or ESPN, it could be a, you know, a separate entity if that's where they want to go. And I think, you know, certainly the, the ratings will be interesting. I think, you know, certainly the Lakers being part of it is important. Um you know, one of these marquee teams and you've got, you've basically got, you know, stars across the board, whether it be Lillard or Giannis and uh, LeBron, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyrese Halbert and the new up and coming Zion and Brandon Ingram players like that here. But yeah, I do think that um, it's probably the timing um, is not coincidental that we've got a, a new TV deal that we're negotiating. And then we've put this in season tournament into play. You mentioned uh, the, you know, the CBA contracts coming in. One thing I've noticed about the standing so far, and maybe this is just statistical noise, but I wanted to get your take on that. Instead of, you know, maybe three, four dominant teams, like maybe we've seen in years past, it feels like we've got 10, 12 pretty strong teams and then four terrible teams that almost never win. And, but kind of parody up and down. Um, other than that, do you think that's just, you know, that can happen in a short sample of games or is there something structural there? I think there's, yeah, I think we're, we're probably seeing more parity than we've seen before. And it's more of the teams that it's the Orlandos that have been, you know, basically re, retooled their roster for the last three or four years. It's Oklahoma City, the same thing, who two, two teams, Minnesota, another team that got in as a plane, those mid-market teams uh, that we rarely have talked about, um, that they've drafted well, they've taken advantage of the CBA here. And then you have... You know, Houston has been in a, had been in the bottom of the basement since the Hart James Harden trade. They played better this year with a new coach and Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and some veterans here. But then there's also, you know, there's the concern. I wouldn't really put Washington in that place because it's basically kind of a half year of their rebuild. Um, and they've got a new GM and they traded Bradley Beal and, you know, their team, let's see where they are a year or two from now. I mean, I think if I'm the league, I would be concerned where the Pistons are. Um, that, that would be the, my biggest concern because if you go back and look at where they were, you know, from, you know, when Chauncey Billups and Rasheed Wallace and those teams are and where they are now, there's been a 16 year stretch where this team has been 500 or worse. And the, and the worst part is the majority. And, you know, this team to me has not gotten better. Um, but I think that all comes down to, having a competent front office, drafting well, having a plan here, not short term. Um, so I think that's a little bit more of a, a, a one-off. Um, you know, Memphis is different because of a lot with John Morant. Um, they're one of the teams that have been in the playoffs here. But I do think there's a lot of parity up and down this league. I don't think there's, you know, Denver's the returning champions, but I don't think there's a consensus um, here. And as you said, with the new CBA, what the new CBA does, it's, it forces you to make decisions based on, you know, putting, um, uh, if you had a puzzle, pieces to the puzzle that fit. 
So in the past, for example, the Lakers maybe could go out and get Zach Levine from the Bulls and have three players making $40 million. Nowadays, that makes it extremely challenging as far as what else you are able to kind of add around those um, around those players. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, that, that does seem to be the consensus of the new CBA is we might be moving from like a big three kind of league to a big two or, or, you know, maybe you just try to have a more balanced roster. Um, but yeah, do, is that kind of how, how you see things shaping out as this new CBA kicks in? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it'll be interesting, you know, Oklahoma city will be a good ta- a case um, study for this year because they've drafted extremely well. And the one thing you don't want to do is penalize teams that draft well and makes you pick and choose as far as who you can keep or not. That's going to be, um, that's going to be interesting as far as they've got a, they basically have Shea Gilders Alexander on a you know thirty five million dollar contract, and they've got a lot of guys eight million dollars or less here. Um, so it will be interesting how teams kind of continually to, to to build out their roster. I think the draft becomes equally as important as as it's ever been in in the past year. I think. Denver is a good example that, you know, the Nuggets knew they were likely going to lose Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, two veterans they had, and and basically said, you know what, we're going to go out and try to get draft picks, young players, that next infrastructure, um, you know, after, you know, Jokic and Murray and and players like that. Before we let you go, any questions that you have that you think could get answered over the next, you know, the balance of the season? Well, I mean, I I think, you know, what's going to happen here, and I... We, we've started to shift a little bit more um, where the off-court drama and the league, is, I think, has done a good job with this as far as, um, you know, w- w- some of the rules they put in, um, some of the you know penalties they put in. We don't see the, the you know, we saw with James Harden a little bit, certainly with, you know, demanding out. I don't know. I think we might be shifting a little bit of the, that power when we talk about um, players, you know, players are always going to ask out. Right. Like that's always just that's been the part of the fabric since I've been around here. But I think it's it's a little bit different now where you get to pick and choose what team you want to go to. I think that's I think that day and age might be a little bit ending unless you're maybe one of these marquee one or two. You know, if you're Giannis, let's say, and he says, I want to go to the Knicks and I'm only going to go to the Knicks. We saw this summer with Damian Lillard here who basically had his eyes set on on Miami. And then winds up getting traded to um, to Milwaukee here, and so that the player empowerment, I guess, era, um, I think maybe, I don't want to say over, but it's it's. I think the league has done a, a pretty good job as far as curbing that. Bobby Marks, thanks so much for joining us on the show. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports today on your favorite podcast app, and get your friends to do that too. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.